Last week, I began our sermon with this statement, that God is ascending God. This week, I want to begin our sermon with a similar statement. Not only is he ascending God, but he is a serving God. As we consider who we want to be as a church and what God would want us to be about, what he would like for us to be, what he would want us to make important, there, there's a lot about him that we, would try, we can try and emulate as a church body. There's a lot about God that we can say is important and we want to make it important as a church body. There is his love. Many churches make that in their name, you know, and, and that's what they emphasize, and that's great. There is his compassion. There is his mercy, just to name a few things. Here at Crossing, we've chosen to highlight three aspects of God's character in our efforts to make disciples of Christ. That's, that's what our purpose is. Our purpose is to, make, to be and make committed followers of Christ. We feel there are three things we can do to help us accomplish that goal of being and making committed followers of Christ. And those three things, I mentioned last week, and I hope that we can talk about them more and more all the time. And that's uh, equip, send, and serve. We talked about sending last week, how we are sent people, not to places, but to people. And I offered you three tips about that. Have a story, be aware, and to share your story. And all three of these, in the context of equip, send, serve, and, and, and having a story, being aware of your story, sharing your story, all of that, they're related. They, they don't really happen apart from one another. You can't really do one of these very well without not being involved in the others. So you need to be active in all of them. And going back to the character of God, last week we learned how God is ascending God, right? So this week we want to look about that aspect of him being a serving God. When we talk of God being a serving God, it might be hard for some to grasp the idea when you consider all the aspects of God. When you try and reconcile all of them together. But serving is indeed what God does, and that is not in conflict with his other attributes. When you think about him, he is able to live in the tension between what appears to be two opposing truths to us. In our, in our finite capacity, in the limits of our mind, we cannot take something and say that it is both hot and cold. That's hard to reconcile. But God is able to. When we read our Bibles, we see that God is fully, absolute sovereign. And that man has a choice. That's hard to reconcile. Many people don't reconcile it. Many people have a, an opinion or a theology that rules out one or the other. How can that be? Is God in control or not? Both of them can't be true. Well, if God was human, that'd probably be true. If God was human, that would probably be true, but he's not. Thank God. He's God. And he can take something that appears to be in conflict with something else, and he can live in the tension between those two truths, apparent truths, and he can say, I'm perfectly fine right here. You need to believe me that both are true. And so in the context of what we're talking about today, he is fully God. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is able to be everywhere all the time. He created the world with his words. Now, if that ain't a stretch, what is? That speaks 
to someone that is incredibly powerful. Yet, this same incomprehensible God stooped to the lowest levels of humanity to become the ultimate servant. That, to me, is two conflicting truths. That, to me, is two things that I have a hard time reconciling. That you can be the creator of the world with unmatched sovereignty and power and then be the very one who stoops to serve the creation and to take care of it. Philippians 2 is the best example of that. You know this verse probably. You're familiar with it more than likely. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. And having this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. So verse 5 in this context. Having this attitude in yourself. Having this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, he says, you're supposed to have the same attitude as Christ. Within the question would be, what attitude? Verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4 say, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. What attitude did Christ have? He says, have that attitude. And that attitude, Paul writes in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, is do nothing from selfishness. Don't let your needs motivate what you do. But with humility of mind, let you regard those around you as more important than yourself. Don't look out just for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. He goes on in verses 6 through 8, and he says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, and here you go, taking the form of a bond servant. Here is a member of the Trinity of the Godhead. Here is the Son of God, who it says, left all that was his, rightfully his in heaven. All the glory of being with the Father. He left that to become a bond servant. And being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When I think about the creator of the universe, one who speaks creation into existence, And that Jesus made himself humbled. It even says that he made himself obedient. How does the creator God make himself obedient? Even to death on a cross. Jesus left all that existed in glory with his father to come and serve you and I to wash the feet of disciples, to heal the man born blind in John 9, to to heal the lepers and the lame, to feed the thousands, to teach truth to those who lived under the burden of lies, to challenge oppression, to challenge the oppression and to be a voice for those who had no voice. Jesus went to those 
who felt they were outcast and said, I love you. The creator pursuing the creation and serving it. He came and acted very much like a god, healing folks and miracles and calming the waters and feeding the thousands. He had authority. No one has ever talked like him, they said. Jesus was not there working on his own agenda. He wasn't there for himself, as the passage says. He was there as the Father had sent him. He was here for you and I. He was sent to live a sinless life, to suffer the injustice of a wrongful accusers, of an illegal trial, of an undeserving conviction, and being sentenced to die. Not for what he had done wrong, but for what you and I had done wrong. His death serves as the payment for the wrongs you and I have done and will do against a sinless and just God. He fixes that sin problem when men and women come to understand the great offense their sin is to a holy God. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. In other words, the one who did not owe a penalty paid a penalty for those who were obviously guilty and owed a penalty. He took the punishment you and I deserved. And that payment becomes ours when we simply come to an understanding. When we, when we change what we believe about how we are made right with God. When we change what we believe about what it means to deal with our sin. That I can never do enough to make atonement for my sin, to please God. And so Jesus steps in and does that on our behalf. We must believe that Jesus died for our sins and in doing so that he can be saved. That's the, this is the thing. Some of you are kind of new around here, so you need to get used to this. I'm going to say this. Pretty soon I'm just going to call some of you up to do this on my behalf. You know, But if this line is the point of salvation, this line on the carpet, is the point of salvation. In this point is that point where you come to yourself and you say, I understand that I cannot fix my sin, that I cannot do anything to atone God, uh, to atone my sins, that I cannot do anything to please God. I place all my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. It's a point in time decision. It's a one-time thing that happens. It's called salvation, justification. It happens right here. On this side of that line, leading up to that line, it costs you absolutely nothing. Nothing at all to come to this place and understand that and then take that salvation for your own. It's a free gift, absolutely free. On the other side of that line, once you've accepted that gift, once you say, I'm a Christian, once you say, I'm the disciple of his, once you say, I'm a follower of his, once you say, I want to live my life for his, on this side of the line, what's it cost you, folks? Everything. Everything. It costs you everything. It costs you everything on this side of the line because he says that he died. He says that he died so that we have nothing left. There's nothing left that's ours. Our lives are his. He bought them. It's not mine anymore. It costs me all my life this side of the line. It's not cheap grace at all because it costs Jesus everything he had. We're not preaching that. You can't walk out of here and say that. It costs Jesus everything. My prayer is that you 
are here today and have, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins and trusted him for your salvation, that well, you'll do that today here. So how does serving like Jesus translate to you and I? How do we kind of get in that place? How do we serve like him? It's really obvious application is that if Jesus, our Lord and our master and our teacher, came and said that we are to do as he did, then what should we be doing? If we're supposed to be like him, then we should be doing what he did and he came and he served. So can we truly say that if we're his disciples and if we're not intent on serving him and serving like him, that we are his? Can we say that if we want to be like him but we don't want to serve, that we are really wanting to be like him? It doesn't fit to say, I want to be like Jesus, but I don't want to serve. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work that way. If we are in relationship with others around us, then we need to understand that we are to serve those people around us. We were sent to serve them. Now, it's impossible that there is some... Now, it is possible that there is someone in this room that is thinking to themselves, okay, this is where he's choosing to make his big recruitment spiel to get us all to do more stuff around here. That might be what someone would say. This is the whole thing about serving more at crossing and doing more things around here. You might be half right. Now, you might be 25% right. Because I'm going to talk about serving here at crossing, but not because I want crossing to be the biggest church, not because I want to make crossing bigger and better, not because... I want our programs to be the best programs or to draw any kind of attention to our church that would glorify our church. That's not the reason at all. No, the reason I'm talking about serving here at Crossing is that you can't grow. You you can't be like Jesus unless you're serving. And he has put you in this relationship with people around you so that you can serve them and they can serve you as well. As a member of the family here at Crossing, just like as a member of the Smith family, if you're a part of that family, then there's an expectation that you contribute. It might be small. Owen, Owen takes the trash out. That's what Owen does. He was supposed to wash the windows yesterday, but he never got to that, so he doesn't eat today. Sorry, Owen. <laughs> but if you're a member of the family, then it's kind of expected, isn't it? in most healthy families, that you do something around the house? And it's when you get involved and you begin to do things that there's something about serving that you begin to act like, you begin to look like, you begin to live like Jesus did. But our service is not limited to this ministry. It's not limited to this building or to this campus at all. It extends to anyone and everyone you know. When, when we are, when we're supposed to serve all of them that God has placed in our context. To give, and we're supposed to serve them with all the energy and with all the opportunities that he gives us to do so. But there's another reason to serve. And often it's when you serve that you see God do things that change you. You change. So when we talk about becoming and being disciples, 
when we talk about, when Paul says that his, his, his greatest urge is to see his disciples and the people in his church be transformed into the image of Christ, how do you become like the ultimate servant if you don't serve? So you begin to be like him. You begin to change when you serve like he does. Remember last week when I said that part of being sent is having a story? Remember I, I being able to tell others, this is how God worked in my life? Well, this is how I've experienced God at, in my family or among my friends. When you serve, you begin to accumulate those stories that you will share as you are with God and his people. As God has sent you to serve someone, you have stories because you served. When you serve, you begin to put God in a position to do the unexpected. To do the wow kind of things that leave a mark on you and build faith. When you serve, that happens. But if you're sitting on the couch and you're just soaking up God's goodness like a sponge and you're not sharing it with others, i got to say, I don't know that there's very, if there's any value to you for the kingdom. Now, someone's going to come up and say, I don't think that's true. You might be right, but I don't think it's too far from being wrong. I, don't think, I think it's pretty right. If you're sitting on the couch just soaking up God's goodness and not being used at all, not serving anyone anywhere, I would venture to say that you're of little value to the kingdom. You might make a good doorstop somewhere. I don't know. When, we ser- when, when you serve, you see God at work in a way that you will never see him at work from the couch. When you're just soaking up all the good stuff. A few things about serving you need to remember. Most of the time, you and I will serve in ways that are unimportant to us and unimportant to our personal life. Think about that. Most of the time, you're going to serve in a way that is unimportant to you. That if you serve here today in this way, or you serve there in that way, when you go home, you still have your to-do list to do. You, you still have your life to run. For instance, those who serve downstairs with the children for mops, those who serve downstairs with the children for for Sun Country, those who serve on our Sunday night young family small group. I don't imagine any of those people wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I would like to spend a lot of my time today chasing little snotty-nosed children. That just sounds like fun to me. You know what I hope, though? I hope and pray that those who do that wake up and say to themselves, today... I'm going to help a worn-out, discouraged, frazzled mom get a break when she comes to mops. And hopefully she'll hear about the gospel because I'm downstairs with her children. You're not wiping bottoms. You're helping share the gospel. It's a very indirect path. But nonetheless, nonetheless. I hope and pray that our Sunday school teachers begin cutting out the little crafts and all those little doodads they do 
and all that stuff and all those props that they bring. When Betty Jo comes to teach, man, it's like a caravan. It's a wagon train coming through here because she's got her arms full of all the stuff she's going to use to teach those children. And I see a lot of our other teachers doing the same thing. And I hope and pray that when they're doing all that stuff, they're thinking about the foundation for the gospel they're laying in children's lives. And the number of children who say, I trusted Christ in Sunday school with Mrs. Buckley. I hope and pray that when you check off the little box on the connection card to attend the workday, that you don't think, I don't really want to spread mulch and wash windows. But I hope you do think, but I really want our guests next Sunday to come here and to say, this place looks nice. Who takes care of it? I want us to leave them with a good impression. It might even be the first time that person has ever been on a church campus and I want them to walk away saying, that's what a church is? A barn? I hope and pray that more of us will see the value in coming in here at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning to set up chairs, and as they do, they'll be in prayer for whoever's going to sit in that chair today and praying that someone might trust Christ that day. Although they'll get the encouragement when they sit in that chair today from someone sitting next to them, or they'll encourage someone else sitting in a chair around them. We still need a few people to come in and set up chairs. It's a part of making sure that someone has a place to sit, to come in and hear the Word of God on a regular basis. It's not setting up chairs. It's serving. I'm grateful for the folks who serve at the doors and the welcome desk, for the stories I've been hearing about how a guest walks in the door and and a, a, a donkey or somebody takes them by the arm and says, let me show you where you need to be. That's down there is where the kids are, but up here, and you can get yourself a free cup of coffee, unless Tim's around, he might charge you for it, but don't pay attention to him, you know. Here, right here, you can get a cup of coffee. Come on inside and have a seat. We're going to be starting in a few minutes. Hearing those stories that are happening is serving. Is serving. I'm so grateful for those in the militia I, keep, I cannot say this enough times. Church, people from towns, the city council, the business people in town, the new town business and professional society, those kind of organizations in cities all across America, they don't call local churches and say, can you come out and play with us? Because most churches have nothing to offer them as they understand it. But we have these people who like to dress up and play with guns. And they get called and says, can you come out and play with us? And people come around and they say, who are you? Why do you do this? We're from Crossing Community Church. Can we tell you about that? For those people who march in the winter and dress in several layers of wool clothing in the summer, now that's, that's sacrifice. That's beyond serving. That's sacrifice right there. I'm so grateful for those of you who are quiet and almost invisible in your service. No one asks you to do the things you do. You just see that it needs to be done, and you step in there. And you don't get the attaboys for doing that because no one knows you've done it. Those of you who are the last ones to leave on a Sunday, you make sure all the chairs are put away. You make sure the lights are turned out. You come around, and you just stay to make sure it gets done. For the small group leaders... 
for the Bible study teachers, for the Sunday school teachers, for the iBlast staff, for the summer camp staff, for the VBS staff, for the Flood Philly staff. So grateful for the Sunday school teachers and the worship team members and the sound guys and the tech guys and the, the brownie bakers and the coffee makers. All of those things, you're like going, I just make brownies at church. Man, life. Don't think like that. Don't think like that. Realize that making brownies that are especially gooey in the middle. That's not a direct order for brownies. I'm just telling you that's how some people like them. Making brownies that are especially gooey in the middle. And when people come in, especially the unchurched, they don't, they don't even know that. You can do that in church. They think you should come in here and it's enforced uncomfortableness on you. But when they walk in and they go, I can have coffee, but I'm sure I can't take it in there. And we go, no, please take it in there and spill it too if you'd like to. <laughs> They've never experienced anything like that. And so when you do those small things, those things are big things. They're a part of being who we are, and they matter. For the people on our care team who coordinate us and facilitate us and loving others and who have made hundreds of meals in the past year or so, hundreds of meals, and given them away. For our youth ministry staff members, But all of that, and so much more, things that I haven't thought of mentioning. I, I don't want to offend you if I didn't mention your area. But all of that, all of that's about organized ministry, and all of that's about service opportunities here at Crossing. But most of the time, service happens in two ways. Most of the time, service happens in two ways. Most of the time, service happens in the unnoticed areas of life. The little things you do that are so small, you almost think they couldn't possibly be important to another person. But most of the time, those things that seem unimportant to you will probably be incredibly important to someone else. Matter of fact, we often communicate love and honor in the little things we do and say that are not expected. The little things that we do and say that someone isn't looking for you, that are not terribly consequential in our minds, but nonetheless, they are meaningful to someone else. Service in the moment. You might even call them interruptions. Or Michael Brees years and years and years and years ago taught me to call them divine appointments. I remember when you preached that. I just want you to know that, right? Divine appointments. Those little things that happen in the day that you didn't plan for them, that you didn't think that they would happen, but they happen anyway. Things you don't expect that would take your time away from your to-do list or from your conversations or from your agenda. You Catch that? Things that would take time away from your to-do list, from your agenda, from what you're all about and what's important to you. And all of a sudden, your attention is directed onto someone else. That in itself is huge about serving. It takes the attention off me and it puts it on others. Things you didn't expect that will, that will happen in the moment of your day. This thing, this person, this opportunity to open your mouth and let God speak through you. To be aware. Remember last week, one of the tips about being sent? To be aware and to allow God to use you 
in ways that you never thought he would, in ways you didn't know he needed you to. Finally, we probably do our very best ministry and service when we're at our weakest moments. When we're at our weakest moments. When we're the most tired. When we're not ready. When we didn't prepare. When we don't have the money. When we don't have the time. When we don't have the mental or emotional or spiritual bandwidth. We think we're just done. And it's in that moment that you get a phone call. It's in that moment that you come across a need. When we feel like we are our weakest, when we feel that we're not sufficient. You know, because as 2 Corinthians 4 speaks out, it says, it is not our sufficiency that makes all this work, but it is God in us doing it through us. When we are weak and pressed into service, we understand better what Paul wrote. And he said, when God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. When we can't do it, God steps in and does it for us. Now that's when you have a story. That's when your faith gets built up. And that's when it gets strengthened. When you feel like that there are no more options left and you don't know how to meet this need and you don't even fully understand the need but it is there and you step into it and then God brings the resources you need. God gives you the energy you didn't have. God gives you the words that you didn't know about. When you step into that need and all that weakness and you allow God to work through you, when all is said and done, you're going to walk away from there and go, what just happened? What just happened? That happened for me this week. Stepped in to try to meet a need and didn't know it was going to happen. And a phone call from Florida says, take care of that need. Here's my, check, my credit card number. Take care of that need. That wasn't in my book. I didn't see a phone call from Florida coming in. I figured I was going to be going around picking up someone's secondhand stuff and, and handing it off. But God said, no, uh-uh. He said, I'll give you someone else's credit card that you haven't seen in probably six months, and you're going to take their credit card and buy a brand new baby. That's how I want to meet this need. And he'll do it every time if we step in and we seek to serve. Every time. That's what serving is about. That's how he uses it to change us. That's how he gives stories that you can share with others when you find you've been sent to them, when you've served.